Welcome to the One Shot Test Kitchen. Today's episode, Golden Sky Stories. Hello, and welcome back to the One Shot Test Kitchen, where we try out indie tabletop RPGs. I'm Mike Kelly, uh, and I am joined by my two ho- two co-hosts, April Lynn. Konnichiwa. And Samara. Hello. Uh, we've had some time to think about uh, our game of Golden Sky Stories uh, that we ran uh, last night with uh, my friend Sarah. So now that it's you guys have had some time to think about it and you know kind of digest with it, we talked a little bit about uh, after the episode about some very preliminary things. But what is your, uh, I guess, preliminary kind of view on that game? Uh, let's start with uh, April Lynn. Uh, well, I have a question before I do that. Sure. I was thinking... The scenario that you ran us through, was that a one of the game's introductory scenarios? It was the introductory scenario, yes. So there's was two. the introductory scenario. Okay. There's two. Uh, the first one, the one I ran, was literally like, play this if you have not played Golden Sky Stories before. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second one is like, if you're a little bit more familiar. Okay. So one of the, I don't know if problem is the right word. One of the things that I was thinking about that, you know, because we we had mixed opinions about the way the game went. I think part of what I was thinking about was for the book to give us a lot of information about how the Henge interact with humans Mm -hmm. and then give us a introductory scenario that was completely devoid of humans until the very end uh, was very strange. And it didn't give us a lot to work with. In terms of, because I had, I personally didn't know, like, how are my, how am I supposed to interact with the other henge if we're not helping someone? And we were helping another henge, but mm. um, it was still not what I was expecting. I was expecting to be helping humans out with their problems from reading the content that I did. Yeah, I, uh, Sarah also voiced this, like, you know, in the beginning, she's like, yeah, I'm looking forward to, like, helping out humans uh, and this. And, like, yeah, the, the, the stuff in the book does just kind of lean very heavily on it. So it's a weird choice for this first one to be have like almost no humans in it. It's maybe not the best introduction. And I, I, I say this in a couple of different ways because I had some real problems with that scenario as I was running it. I didn't decide until very shortly before we started recording which scenario I wanted to run. Uh, mm. Ended up defaulting to the one that they said to run. So I'm like, okay, we'll we'll do this. The other scenario involves, uh, uh, I, I guess, spoilers, um, a lost puppy and a, uh, and a boy. Look, uh, yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> it's a little bit more like you're interacting with the puppy. You're interacting. It's just a puppy, not a henge. And uh, the boy who's been looking for. Uh, but Chasha could have talked to the puppy. Yeah. Well, sort of. I mean, uh, could have communicated with it in some way, certainly. Uh, is the, were one thing on this, like, idea of interacting with Henge and what those rules were, was the concept and conversation around why we were in animal form, why we weren't in human form, like, whether or not it was rude, were those kind of social rules given to you as a GM? Or was that something that, like, you kind of picked up and ran with because uh, you were trying to help guide us to a different place? Well, so the latter, uh, so Suzune is the instruction they kind of give is that she is very proper and she's very prideful. She has the, the, the Fox Henge, uh, flaw of pride. So she speaks very kind of formally. She's very concerned with like, uh, manners, things like that. So I'm like, okay, without that, there wasn't much excuse for you guys to actually, shift into your uh like quasi human forms uh and i kind of wanted to play with that to see like you know because i didn't want you to all just be animals through the whole thing even though you very well could be so that was Mm -hmm, my attempt to kind of force it but yeah there wasn't really a good reason given so yeah and i think that comes down to the again the lack of humans because really if we're not inter if there are no other humans around what reason would we have to be in anything close to our human forms otherwise because as henge in animal form we can still talk we can communicate we have all the same attributes as we have in our human forms 
Yeah, and so it became for me, I think to the point that we're talking around or on, I felt like the game had a little bit of a slow start and especially playing with somebody who had never played an RPG before because I find mm-hmm. that most new players whenever I, you know, am playing with them at a table, there's this constant fear of am I doing this right or is this allowed mm-hmm. or somebody's going to tell me this like choice I'm making in pretend land is wrong and I think a lot of that stems from like you know, bad raps for nerd culture and overly complicated games like Dungeons and Dragons, which are like, well, you can't use that spell if you're not like 60 feet away. Uh, <laughs> and this was definitely not that, but it yet felt that way. And so I think we were all ready to be like, you know, charming, whatever. And then we were all of a sudden in this situation where we we're like, well, we don't know how to react. And it feels like there's a right or way, right or wrong way to engage with this person in this scene. And so I felt a little stuck in the beginning and then remembered oh no they said something in the book that this is like a slower softer experience and I was like okay well maybe this game is like a funny cute like animal manners story and we're gonna learn how to have manners um (laughs) at, at that point I was just like I don't know what we're doing here yeah I mean so there's two things I kind of want to say with that the first is that like I think that this story was also meant as a very introductory thing for a longer uh, play, like, you know, multiple different stories going on or something like that. So this is where, like, the dynamic of the group would have kind of been uh, first introduced and explored. Um, mm. So there's that. I think the other thing, and, like, I'm I'm going to take responsibility for this, I think I followed that, uh, that uh, scenario too closely. Like as yeah. a, as a GM, every scene was like, so like it, it told me when to end the scene, get this to happen. And this would end the scene. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, so it's that's like the, tough. Yeah. It was, so it was rough. It was like, and like, so the first, the first scene was supposed to end like basically when, uh, uh, oh, what was it? When she started asking names or something like that. And then the second scene ended when, uh, the way that they put it was when someone uh, makes a comment that they should probably go home and you guys immediately like, no, we're staying here. Like, and I'm like, Oh fuck, I should roll with this. But like the whole crux of is this is that she wants to have people, but she's scared of people kind of thing. Yeah. So how do I do that? And then like, they said like, and then, and that scene with the rain beginning to fall, uh, cause she realizes people are leaving and she wants them to stay. Right. So I kind of ignored what you guys were saying, which is probably a cardinal sin in the GM world here. Um, <laughs> I should have rolled with it. So part of the problem, I think, is that I stuck too closely. With Night Witches, like, uh, which I also GM'd, it was very open. It was just like, these things are happening, kind of go and play. Mm. Here it's this scene, then this scene, then this scene, then this scene. And, oh, that's, mm-hmm. that's and, really, really tough. And especially when you're, I think, when you're jumping into a new however limited it is rule system uh, and a brand new game, I find as a GM that I get really scared to veer off and make it my own Mm. because I'm afraid that the system's going to break. That if I go too far off, I'm going to reach a point in the scenario book that I've been given that like I've totally effed myself and I can't come back from. Um, And so I do think it's really tough when they give you such a specific scenario, you feel like, I think I have to follow it because why else would you be so specific? Um, yeah. But it, it, whereas, like, I think, I'm sure your instincts would have probably been like, great, let's do a slumber party, but let them get creeped out totally. so that they want to leave so that she's got to keep them, you know, whatever, whatever. No, it's it's very true. Like, and like, I think the best scene that we had at the old man's house, that was pure me. Like the fourth scene that they listed, I'm just like, no, I'm not doing this. Like, <laughs> I, can't, I, I can't end it this way. It doesn't mm-hmm. feel right to what's going on. And so I latched on to something that, you know, the sock game and the old man that uh, uh, Chasha had mentioned. And I'm like, okay, we have to do this. Like, this is the way to end it. Um, you know, the callback, a gentle kind of bonding moment. We need this. And yeah, the, I mean, like the fourth scene in the book kind of ends with like, just like another more tentative but happier like rendezvous at the shrine, and I'm like, like what? the next day, yeah, yeah, it, it's very weird. So, 
So, yeah, I, I mean, I take responsibility for that because, like, I think that I railroaded you guys a little too hard on some of this stuff and didn't really. I should have gone with the slumber party idea when um, when you guys suggested it and gone from there. But well, also to your credit, you were dealing with a little bit of a bully bunny who kind of decided midway through to very boldly go where no bunny had gone before. I recognize we we talked about this a little bit post game where I was like, I need to work on my player character bully abilities. Where mm-hmm. <laughs> like the GM and me is like. I want to see where this goes, so I'm just going to take it over. And that's not necessarily, you know, helpful all the time. So, but I thought, yeah, I thought that the final scene was wonderful and very satisfying. Um, how how you were able to call back because it shows that, you know, we were in conversation building this story. Mm. And I, a part of me wonders when you mentioned the places where they suggested to end the scenes, because as a player, I felt like we were always going to commercial break slash end of the scene in the middle of action. And then I was yeah. like, well, let me think about animes I watch. Let me think about, like, is there a pacing to the storytelling that is inherently different because of, like, the source material? And does that pacing feel weird as a player or as a GM because, um, you know, we're just less familiar with it? you know, at the moment, because I do think that might have been part of it. So my, I guess, question is, so do you, having read that, Mike, feel like this was a scenario that was written with new GMs in mind? So, I mean, it says it explicitly, this is for narrators and players that have never played. Never Um, played a a role-playing game or specifically Golden uh, Sky Stories? Golden Sky Stories. Okay. Uh, it specifically um, says that. So I wonder if some of it is that, like, I wonder if that would be helpful for somebody who was brand new to GMing. That maybe structure. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, somebody I, I who doesn't so. have an expectation of how the game is going to go. Right. Because we forget that, like, even just between the games that we've played, we've started to really get better at refining that, like, you know, volleyball game of collaborative mm-hmm. storytelling um but that's also a muscle that you you get by you know exercising we've all been doing it for many many years exactly exactly yeah. and so uh that's why it does always feel weird when a story is really specifically constricting but i think that's a huge fear of people who have never done this stuff before because it's like where does the story go like they they want that exactly what you said april and like it is it's a comfort to have those rails yeah, exactly. Yeah. And having structure, you know, knowing, okay, we're going to do this section, and as long as we get to this point, we're still on track. Exactly what you said with Rails. like, mm-hmm. um, And you, it gives you something to guide the story towards. So th- this scenario work, would work better for someone who is, let me try out this role-playing game thing, as opposed to people like us who have played it before, uh, played stuff like this before. I think so. I mean, I feel like this entire system is kind of designed for people who are not role players necessarily it's weird because i got the idea for doing this from uh uh, some of the people i follow online like you know they spoke very highly highly of it and they uh run long-standing games they're long-standing game masters and they love interesting long-standing games of this no 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 of various different things okay well so to counterpoint that i would say having played it I would actually play again, but like I find it a great, I find it would be a potentially great system for a non scenario um, based game to just be like, oh, great, we love this world. I have a couple people mm. that they can meet in this village, and like, let's just spend a few hours with cute animal people and being twee and lovely and just see where that goes in the story that you build i could find that really satisfying with experienced role players oh yeah yeah i don't think that it is something that non that's specifically not for gamers but i think that it's intent at least seems to be more for people who are experimenting with role playing yeah do you guys feel that way about scenarios in general though like i'm kind of anti- scenario for tabletop RPGs. 
I mean, I kind of view it as like if they give me a scenario, like I, I feel that they've tested it and they think this is a good introduction to the system they've built. Yeah. Um, I'm, so, I mean, that was the thing with, with this. It's like, uh, you know, there are scenarios built in, so I'm going to try one of them. Uh, but I think it also very much depends on the rails that are put around it, the guardrails. Like, um, you know, Night Witches had very like, these two things are happening. Go play. Whereas mm-hmm. this was like a scene by scene breakdown. I think there's a there's a way to create a scenario and a setting that evokes certain things mm-hmm. um, without prescribing them. Uh, right. If that makes any kind of sense. Yeah. One thing I, I wanted to mention also, just again, speaking about scenarios, is this was something I struggled with in the lead up to this. And I think I mentioned this to you guys uh, many, many, many times. I have no idea how to craft a story for this, like, because, <laughs> like, of my own, because I'm so used to games having a conflict, like a center conflict that is not necessarily violent in nature, but at least, like, has bigger, sco- uh, bigger scope, bigger stakes than something like, than, like, making a new friend or finding a lost puppy or something like that. <laughs> and I think that, like, these are like these seem like the little moments in games blown out to a full game, and I couldn't really figure out a way to make something like that. I'm I'm going to potentially out you here, but you watch My Little Pony, which is a show entirely made up of exactly those <laughs> kind of conflicts. And I'm not saying that to potentially embarrass you in front of our wide fan base here. No, no, I, um, I own it. I own it. Okay, good. Um, you should. Uh, but because I feel like one of the strengths of that show of My Little Pony Friendship is Magic, not the 80s crap, for, yeah, by yeah. the way. I do um, have some standards, yes. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I'm probably going to get some hate mail for calling the old show the crap. But um, because I feel like one of the charming things and what makes that show work is that it does have these moments of conflict that seem light but are made serious you know they seem Mm. light from an adult standpoint but when you dig into them they're not light i mean loneliness is not a light subject yeah i mean this is i think this idea about amplifying uh internal uh issues and, and and exploring them uh through sort of these earnest vulnerable emotional spaces when that's the arc uh i think that there's i think it's incredibly difficult to do in tabletop role playing but i think it's incredibly important to try to do and really satisfying when it when it hits and we were talking right after the game with a quick debrief talking about okay moments in the game and this and that and Iberlin, you and i were talking about when I was going full 11 on Crybaby City, and uh, we were talking about, you guys were so excited about the sock game, and then I jumped on it, and then it was like, oh, well, you weren't there that time. And then I, like, burst into tears, and I was so upset, and I just wanted to be involved, and you had said that that was, like, you actually felt in the story, like, bad for yeah. Bunny. Like, I, April Lynn, not, not for Bunny, but for Samara Bunny. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was feeling empathy for you in that moment, even though you weren't technically the one being hurt by this imaginary scenario. Yeah, and that's really powerful. And that mm-hmm. is why there's a part of me that is like, I think that's a little bit of the magic that this game mm-hmm. is trying to get in. And what you're talking about with shows like My Little Pony Friendship is Magic which is that there is there is something important for the human spirit to have a space to be allowed to be earnest and and vulnerable in a playful way because i think too often we're like oh well those feelings and emotions are are crap or you know just we're rough i feel like we're rough with that part of ourselves too often and it's really interesting and difficult and exciting dangerous to be playing a game that's like no let's put it out there guys just be earnest. Be open-hearted. Be be sad about things that hurt your feelings. I 100% agree, but I think the emphasis for me is on the how difficult it is part. Like mm-hmm. a lot of the a lot of the emotional intimacy that came from this, I think had to come from a certain level of 
closeness, quietness, and like almost nonverbal communication, which to some degree we had, but um, it's very difficult over the internet to some degree. But I think it's also, I'm not going to get into it too much, but like, you know, my emotional state lately has been very exhausted uh, given a whole bunch of shit. So it was hard for me to kind of inhabit that and to actually evoke that. Like you have to have a certain level of, and I tried at at points, like when when Suzune started crying, to actually like inhabit that, like, and I think it worked to some degree, but it was very hard to. Uh, uh, well, let me ask you guys then, like, how did that moment hit in terms of the emotional? Like, did you feel it, or did you just kind of, oh, this is happening, this is part of the story, kind of thing. I have a very vivid imagination, mm. so I was on board. I don't remember specifically, but I was on board for most of the story. Yeah, I think that um, I felt a and recognized a tonal shift and a. I feel like as a player, I was I, again. I get like too in like a GM headspace, but I felt like I could really get your energy of like real-time navigating the scenario and this character and us and like you know like i could feel that work that you're talking about because i also think that it's the hardest thing to fake so like if you Mm. if you're not there if you're not in that headspace and we were saying i think earlier in the episode was like not feeling it so Mm. good luck getting me there um (laughs) and i overcompensated by being over emotional right it was like I, i i became a clown because i couldn't and I took the path of the clown to find my moment of like, oh, no, this is an honest feeling for Bunny Samara. And I think for you, similarly, like that moment with Suzune was like watching you sort of muscle through this and then being like, no, just like connect. Like Suzune's really sad right now. So let me just let myself try to be a sad Suzune and see where that goes. Um, mm. And so I definitely like felt that kind of tenor shift and connection. The, the, I guess the seriousness in so much that like, or like reverence that that it was like no this is a real thing we're not being tongue-in-cheeky about it or again earnestness i suppose so yeah i think it was impactful i mean i was in love with suzune so like maybe i was like a little (laughs) blinded to well sure sure yeah i mean i i I guess also like part again like you know, Samara, as a, as a GM, you, you recognize like you're trying to handle like five different things. And like here I was trying to match like, like it's a very weird dichotomy where I need to be very mechanical and very emotional at the same time. And it's like, um, well, let's try this. Like, yeah, I, I, I didn't feel I had the room to guide this in the way that I needed to because Suzune had an arc that she needed to go through. Right. Mm-hmm. But I think it worked. I think like in the end, like, I totally. Think, I, I mean, of of the of all the scenes, I think the last scene was the one that I think had the best, like moment to it. I think because it was mm-hmm. for all reasons, possible. right? Like we became more, we were at that point more comfortable with our characters, our relationship to each other. You were more comfortable running a story off script, and we could get into. And there was a human. And there was a human. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's true. The one thing you guys wanted. <laughs> No, I, I would just be very love. interested in trying to run this myself sometime. And if we ever have time to do a game that isn't <laughs> for mm-hmm. the podcast um, or to try this again and try running it myself um, and see if I can evoke that peaceful Japanese countryside aura. I feel like of the three of us, I'm the least cynical and... <laughs> Broken by the world. So. That is a very low bar to clear, but you do clear it by a mile. Yes, <laughs> I'm not broken by the world. I I, I broke the world. Nope the the world broke me. Nah, nope, cut that one out. <laughs> Something broke. Something broke. No, but but actually, to be fair, like I think it is a valid point. Like, uh, I mean, you know this, but like I finally watched for the first time uh, my neighbor Totoro two days before we recorded. Um, I, you know, I'm not a, you know, I haven't really seen a ton of Ghibli stuff um, and Miyazaki stuff. I, you know, I liked it. Uh, I think also that maybe also futz with my sense of story structure. Cause that's a very strange movie in terms of like act structure. So maybe I was like going a little bit more in the direction of like 
fewer. I don't know. But like, so if I say though, that's not, those aren't the paints that I paint with when I'm trying to construct mm-hmm. a story. Mm, right. And so I'm, I was working in a medium that I just didn't have the, the experience and the muscle memory to, to, to kind of use. The right paint brushes for. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and you're working with acrylics when you normally use oil paints. Yes. See how far we can stretch this metaphor. Look, yeah, I, I think say, there's, oh, there's something you need to know about me, April Lynn. Uh, I could go on for years on a metaphor. <laughs> I will beat a metaphor to death. I will squeeze every last juice out of a metaphor and then use its rind as a zest in the cocktail of metaphor <laughs> love. I just, I love it. So yeah, I was here for it. Always will be. Well, you did a better job of that than I did. <laughs> But we got equally I, I, dirty looks. So. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so before we get deeper into it, uh, let's take a quick break and we will be right back. And we're back. So one thing I kind of also wanted to touch on from like a mechanics point of view is um, the main method of interaction were those like ability checks and the wonders powers and stuff like that. Um from I mean, from my point of view, I don't know if they were used effectively in that particular story. Sometimes, like, if you were trying to talk with someone, I was more inclined to let you guys talk it out and roleplay it out than instead of doing, like, an adult check or a child check or something like that. I guess, what did you guys think of that system? And, like, the fact that, like, I guess that it was entirely diceless as well, like, because I don't think we've played something like that. I was fine with the dicelessness part of it. Uh, specifically because it was it was up to us to decide, do I want to make this check or not? Mm. Do I want to spend the points to make it work, or am I okay with it not actually working? Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll do something else instead. So with that, I think I was fine with. I was annoyed that it called them checks. I mean, maybe you called them checks. You said... No, no, the book calls them checks. Yeah, so that was, that was weird to me, because usually a check is you roll a die... If it didn't, if you don't make the target number, then it doesn't mm. happen. And in this case, it was more, it was basically paying for abilities. But not just abilities, but like paying for the ability to complete actions. Like, uh, you know, uh, I forget who it was that discovered that the, the rain was fake. Was it, was it Rue? I don't remember. Yeah. But like. Yeah, it was Rue. Yeah. yeah. I went whole hog. Do that. I went whole hog. I was like so obsessed with Suzune. I was like. Uh, I'm going to overwhelm you with a, I spent like all my points, but I didn't really know what I was spending points for. Cause it was like a henge check. And I was like, I'm going to see how mystical she is. Sure. What else are my points for? Throw them in there. So that was actually a time that it did make sense to call it a check. I thought, because mm. we didn't know what the target number was. Yeah. Yeah. It was contested uh, we knew against what the potential the, yeah. target number was, but we didn't know what it would be in the end. Because she had, she also had the ability afterwards to add points, or you had the ability to add points. Yeah. So the way that it's supposed to work is that it's actually a bidding system. Like, oh, I'll bet to five, and she's like, okay, she raises to six, and then you can say like, oh, I'm going to go to seven or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I decided mm-hmm. to just do it blind because I think that that felt a little bit better because like the check isn't really or the check. I'm using the generic term here is a negoti- is uh, not a negotiation. It is an ability to sense something, to see something, to notice something, at least in the way I conceive of it. You didn't know who you were competing against or what you were competing against, so that felt a bit unfair. Mm. Yeah, I mean, so I kind of fudged that a little bit, but you know, everything else was like, you know, oh yeah, like to see if she's there, animal check of four, like who wants to, to notice it. Yeah, and I mean that felt fine and natural to me because I've played we've played diceless games before. And it's it it's in this particular system it was just a trade-off like you have 6 points to spend. And if you spend them all at the beginning, then you're not going to have any to spend later on in that scene to do other things. It's always yeah. going to be a matter of deciding how much you want the things at any given point. Yeah, the risk reward balance. Yeah, and to that end I think I would say I would have then wanted more opportunities within scenes to yeah. 
have it because, mm-hmm. yeah, but I don't really know how to like work that in too much because also you think about, I was like, well, I would have wanted to use some of my skills more to an extent, um, but my skills were making mochi and being cute and engendering. And I tried as much as possible. And I feel like also credit to Sarah because I felt like Sarah was really good about saying, mm. oh, okay, I see somebody upset. I, I can make you feel better. I have that ability. Um, and it's weird when there isn't traditional combat or investigation or stuff like that. Like Even in Dungeons and Dragons, you know, a lot of DMs don't, insert ability checks into social interaction. And I always think it's way more, I mean, it's always a sliding scale, but I think that you can create a really fun story from being like, nope, check for that, check for that, check for that. Because then you're forced to pivot your storytelling based on the checks, but also, you know, you can bog down a game. It could be argued. Yeah, D&D has checks for, you know, things like medicine or something (laughs) like that, which it's like, or nature or something like that. Like, you know, I think it has, they have like multiple different things also for different social skills, be it like right. uh, persuasion or, or uh, intimidation or something like that. Whereas well, like, let's face it. D and D is a bloated system for people who like there to be specific things for everything. Right. Right. It's yes, exactly. Yeah. Do you want a stat for how well you roll your eyes? That probably exists somewhere. Yeah, definitely. I, I, yeah. And I think, but again, I would say that it's a very different kind of game, but that there is something to be said for that kind of game where you're still thinking creatively, but whether or not it succeeds or fails is based on that randomization and then what story comes out of that randomization um, Mm. versus a lot of stuff that, you know, we've played here or that this game kind of uh, engenders, which is, yeah, sure, anything, and you probably can make it happen and, and you make it up. But I do feel like the relate, I felt disconnected to the mechanics of this game. I felt like they mm. felt totally arbitrary and they felt like just an excuse for us to put in some structure at a point. Um, yeah. So for me, they didn't really, for whatever reason, just like didn't really work for me. So let me ask you. Uh, so I guess April Lynn, like, do you feel the same with regard to the ability checks that they were arbitrary or? I think it had more to do with the story. Like I would want another example of a story before I would mm. say for sure, because I feel like this introductory story was so bare bones. Mm. Um, and I know for like my abilities really didn't apply for the most part. Like I had an ability to give people, give someone dreams. Well, that's not going to work when we're not sleeping. I had a Mm. lot of mystical abilities, which really don't do anything when you're dealing with another mystical creature Mm -hmm. and persuasive abilities, which uh, they weren't persuasive. They were, I guess I could have used a couple of my skills more, but lying didn't seem like it would be very useful. Yeah, it it did. There did feel like a disconnect, whether that was the scenario or the game. I don't know. Yeah, I mean that was going to be my question. I think, like you know, is it the game's fault or is it the scenario slash jamming part of it? Because there were only moments where I felt like we've just been talking for a while, and I haven't had to do a check with anything. And like I know what the basic story structure is, and I know where this is going. They don't really need to do any checks here. So it's like, do I put more in for the sake of having check? Uh, yeah, or you know opportunities to use your abilities or like like i mean think there i think there were some moments where like the abilities you know chasha coming up to lick someone and bunny samara basically being a little prat like (laughs) yeah i definitely thought that chasha like the dog abilities seemed the most appropriate for the most part because they were all about comforting and building friendship which is what suzune needed Mm. She needed mm-hmm. yeah. a creature to comfort her and help build trust. And I don't think that my Kitsune character was going to be that. She did get to em- uh, empathize with Suzune near the end once she'd opened up. But since we are both lonesome fox types, yeah, there there was room to work with it. But I think that we were all thrown off by this game yeah uh for better or for worse and not and i'm i'm still not entirely sure why 
I think there are a lot of different elements at play. Yeah, I, I, I definitely don't think there's one cause. I think there's a number of different things that kind of led to this. I will honestly say that I was not expecting to end the game as connected to and in love with Rue as I was. I was ready to be like, well, here's this goofy anime character that I can play and we'll move on and talk about it. And I got to say, at least for myself, I was like, oh, I have a really soft spot in my heart for this bunny girl that I found tonight. I don't know (laughs) what her deal is, but I kind of like her and everybody hates her and I'm okay with that. (laughs) I didn't hate her. She was obnoxious, I recognize. She was a little obnoxious. But also... There were moments I hated her, but... <laughs> but also, um, I just wanted her to be... Like, her little bunny heart was just kept getting broken, and I didn't... I wanted to help her, and I didn't know how, and... No. It was frustrating. It's tough. It's tough when you're the Jar Jar Banks of an episode. <laughs> you're not the Jar Jar Banks. I actually, like, honestly, you know, thinking back on it, like, what would I run this time around? Like, I think, like the trials and travails of bunny Roo, like falling in love with everyone in town and having her heart broken sometimes several times a day. Like, I think that would be a great setting for like (laughs) hijinks essentially. Do you help her meet the next love of her life? Do you try to stop her? Who knows when you're friends with Rue, it's always an adventure. I mean, I think Chasha would just be like, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, he can throw a ball really good. Yeah. Yeah. That was that was also like her first action, so I'm like, oh, it's going to be that kind of game. Um, so, but it was. Uh, I mean, it was, good. It was appropriate because I mean, she was the puppy oh, totally. dog. Like, yeah. ooh, what does that taste like? <laughs> uh, so I did want to touch on a couple of uh, uh, some of those things in uh, the rubric, specifically the rule book. So I don't know how much you guys read of the rule book. I asked you guys to look at the character creation stuff, but did you read much beyond that? No, no. I read the character creation section and about all the different types and their talents and abilities. But beyond that, no. And I did even less work than that. I looked at the Fox information (laughs) that I needed and I read the summaries of each of the kinds of characters, but I didn't read their specific like their breakdowns. And the list of adjective words that I didn't even I was afraid of going too far forward and also i ran out of time I, I, and again like i told you guys like read if you can not like this is your homework i think sarah treated it more like homework i wanted to ask because there was an impression i had when i was reading it and i read the whole thing a couple of times what was your impression of like the language of it or is that or should i be more specific i guess well maybe if there's something that you're getting it's clearly a a to me a bit of a strange translation Yes, that that was what I was going to get at. Yeah, um, I didn't read enough of it to, or or closely enough to pick up on that. Yeah, it was for me. It was like maybe one to two steps away from a Google Translate. At times, certainly, like it's very long winded. It's very repetitive at times. Um, I mean, this so this game was originally Japanese. Like it's it was designed and written in Japanese. And it was brought over, translated, um, I don't know when, but it was a Kickstarter for it. Because um, this thing had, uh, this game had a lot of uh, uh, word of mouth in Japan. This localization seemed very, like there's a way to translate something literally and then translate something, like translate the meaning of something. Mm-hmm. Um, in a lot of localization stuff. And I think they erred on the side of... Uh, translating it literally a good amount. Um, there's just long sections in this book where they just start, like, it's almost conversational in a way. And it's like, yeah, you can do this or you cannot do this. And, you know, whatever works best for you. But, you know, we suggest this. You can try this, but have fun. And it's like, yeah, no, no, uh, dude, I get the point. Like, give me the bullet points here. Like, you know, there's a lot to read here. Mm-hmm. Um, no, it was not an efficient translation. And there's something I can't quite put my finger on, but I feel like I've consumed enough Japanese media in both English and like 
original subtitles to, and uh, or like any of the dub stuff I've done to talk to people where you're just like, oh, there's a there's a very specific voice tone style of translation. And that's what this book felt like to me. And that's why I say it was like one to two steps away from Google Translate. Um, mm. and, and, I, and I think that there is something about Japanese language going into American that that it, it, it can sort of go that route. I mean, any language, honestly, when it's going through an American translation machine mm. is going to run that risk. But yeah, there was something very like weirdly familiar about this that I was like, I can't quite, I bet you got all the words right is what I can oh, guarantee. Yeah. But like what was lost on the way in terms of, and again, going back to the idea of like story pacing, the storytelling style. Like, I think there is a way that you can translate that so that we can appreciate what is unique I think to a lot of anime storytelling, but it didn't come through in the writing or the rule book. Yeah, I, I initially thought it was like just due to like not only is it Japanese, it is a very particular subset of Japanese art and cinema, like mm. the Miyazaki film. So like, you know, it wasn't a shonen anime or anything like that. Um so I, I was wondering if it was just the language or also the transliteration of the mood of that and I, I think on either, no matter how you judge it by, it's still a very hard rulebook to read, like and, and comprehend in a lot of ways. So, well, and much like the mechanics, it, it felt like while I was reading through it, like, is this how much of this is needed, and how much of this is not needed, and of the stuff that's not needed, it's not adding enough color, feeling, world tone vibe for me to be like of significant value so then i it it becomes exhaustive to read right because you can't you Mm. can't find essential information and i'm not getting in the mood and i'm just like digging for like what am i oh okay here's a bold header okay fox skills Mm. i can i can understand that and that was the stuff i pointed you guys to because (laughs) yeah it's the most comprehensible yeah and like also the structure of the thing is so weird so it's like in the beginning it's like okay henge here are five sample henge and there's like these full like like two page spreads that are like, you know, drawings of these characters and then like introducing themselves and some things about their particular uh, type of henge that they are. Then it digresses into mechanics and then it comes back to like the types of henge. And I'm like, wait, hold on. What, which one should I be paying attention to? Why aren't they back to back? Well, and what was confusing for me about that was that I thought, Oh, okay. Not only are there like, you know, five or six types of henge but there's also only five or six characters we can play uh like Mm. i initially was confused and thought like i could only like i was picking which one of these tekken fighters to bring on this Mm. but then when they brought back up the henge again later in the book you're like oh okay those are care those are those are um who is it this is a deep nerd but it's like Brunar the Bold or whatever the like dwarf character that the D&D players handbook like introduces you for early on and that they use to take you mm. through the character creation process. Anyways, that Oh yeah, yeah. For me it was Rat the Fighter or something like that. <laughs> yeah, there's in just my, like when I was back in second edition. Yeah, yeah. And when you're like, "Oh, so we're all playing Brunar?" and you're like, "Oh, no, no, no. This is just an example of yeah, I, I mean, like, Suzune is literally one of the characters introduced in the book because they said just use that character. So that also complicates things quite a bit. I don't know. It's a weird rule book. It took me a lot. Like, part of the reason where I was, like, a little bit thrown off because, like, I didn't feel like I had the guidance I needed to go in on this. And end up ignoring a lot of the rules anyway. But <laughs> As any good GM does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tools, not rules. Um, so we kind of went over mechanics a good about, a good amount. I think just briefly to touch on it, um, there is a mechanic that we didn't use because it's the, uh, it's the thing that you do in between stories. So at the end of every story, your connections become quote unquote threads. And it's basically like a holding box for them. And Mm. you like, you put them into the threads, but at the beginning of the story, you don't preserve the level of connection. Um, you don't have the four that you may have built up. It goes back to two um, the next time you see them and all that kind of stuff. So Back to two? That would have been an improvement for me. I only had a one with Suzune. 
Oh yeah. Well, I mean, that makes sense though. I mean, she's become more a part of the group and, and something like that. I mean, that could make a good amount of sense. The, Oh, the other thing is the dreams, um, uh, mechanic, which you didn't really talk about. What did you guys think of that? I only got one dream the entire game and my feelings were a little bit hurt. Uh, I'm sorry. Not actually. <laughs> I wasn't, my feelings were not hurt, but it was very sad to watch everyone else like, oh, well, I'm going to strengthen my connection with so-and-so by using my dreams. I'm like, I can't do that. Like, I've spent all this time having interactions with her and I feel like my connection with her should be strengthened, but because nobody gave me dreams, I can't do that. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, it's, I think it's tough to have uh, an arbitrary mechanic like that, like it, it that it's given arbitrarily, um, mm. to then have hard rule game consequences. Because that just feels like not balanced to me. So either it's we give them out, it's Susie Fun Times, whoever wants them, you get them when, you know, <laughs> you remember or... Wait, 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 wait. Susie Fun Times? <laughs> Yeah, you know, we're all having Susie fun times. We're all having a great time. Just like Must passing out dreams. <laughs> and then like you spend them on equally frivolous things like, I don't know, you can. Yeah, skins. exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm. I was just going to say that like you dream up a new outfit for yourself. So the next time you turn into a human, you can wear a new outfit or only a new shoe. But the fact that it was that you could spend it to strengthen connections and connections gave you feelings or wonder, which then gave you skills. But then again, when you think about it, it's like, well, skills for what? To make mochi? Like, I guess they're all seemingly arbitrary in the end. Oh, yeah. Most of the powers are very, like... like I, My favorite one is the cat one, uh, like, zero points of wonder. You're a cat. People ignore you. Or, like, <laughs> like, like literally, you blend in the scene and, like, you know, you can go unnoticed. Because <laughs> um, you're just kind of on the sidelines. I wish I um, played a cat, but maybe that's the point of the game. Like, I would kind of want to read more of the rule book. Like, maybe the whole point is to get rules nerds out of their bullshit and just be like, "Sure, the webwobs you can be spent on Jimmy Jams, and we all have a good time, and then you know, steal the socks." Yeah, but and those eat- of us who aren't making in saying interesting things that everyone laughs at and gives dreams to don't get to do anything. And it seems like a particularly bad system for people who are easing into role playing. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. I think Sarah took to it very quickly mm-hmm. and had a lot of fun with her character and therefore got dreams for it. Whereas I struggled. If yeah. I had been new and didn't know what I was doing and was shy I mean, hopefully a magnanimous GM would have given out dreams willy-nilly to encourage me to do things. Mm. But in my case, I got one dream the entire game, which meant that I did not get a chance to strengthen my connections with anybody. Mm -hmm. Totally. I think you're right in the, like, for a shy character, it's a little bit to kind of reward someone. I think that's what they're trying to, like, like, create a spirit of generosity and all that kind of stuff. But, like, also, but I don't think that was necessarily the case with, Hanukkah I think it was your moments were way seriouser I guess like they weren't like you weren't striking a pose like you were actually trying to and like in the middle of those things it feels very weird to break the flow and say take a dream like it Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. yeah and like I mean there were good moments in like like when Suzuna kind of broke a little bit but it felt it felt sacrilegious to hold out to hand out dreams in that moment, really. Yeah, no, and that makes sense. But I, like Samara said, for it to have serious in-game consequences of you cannot do this thing unless people give you dreams. Yeah, no, totally, uh, I agree. That's that's broken. But didn't you say that this is maybe also a problem with playing it online because it was yeah. not the dream system supposed to just be like giving dragon tears to somebody like, you know, across the table yeah. when they did something. So perhaps I don't know what that means. Or to- like a token, like that somebody like gives you uh, a meeple. Yeah, like what a does meeple. What have to do with dragon tears? 
Oh, well, like a dragon tear is just like a little glass Refrain. bead that is like also used as like a counter ink in my household. Never heard anybody call it a dragon tear. Well, no, it's just. I. I'm not saying I'm that like. I'm so confused. I'm sorry. I'm not saying that it's common parlance that like people on the street are like slugging dragon <laughs> people tears. People on the street. I'm just saying that. I got, I got a dozen hot dragon tears. Man. <laughs> my I'm house really. has a lot of dragon tears that have been used as counters in games and so in my house counters or tokens are often called we use them a lot in smash up anyways um Mm -mm. we don't have to have that whole conversation i'll go back to the beginning of the idea which is that mike didn't you say that this game originally in the dream system you're supposed to give them as tokens and so that that is a challenge of the playing playing this game online no, 100%. I think if we were playing it face-to-face, it's also it absolutely does not break the flow um, of the conversation and the role-playing you're mm-hmm. having if you can just slide something across the table to somebody. Right. Yeah, I remember um, you I, think I that's had forgotten true. you said that. And that does make a lot more sense if it's just a physical object you hand them on the sly without interrupting what they're yeah. saying. I think, I think actually they do offer – I don't know if it was part of the Kickstarter if they sell it separately – uh, uh, cards, dreams cards that are like have nice art on them on everything. And you can just hand them out that way. I like that. Uh, yeah, that's kind of cool. I think that would have helped certainly, but like also if you're dealing with very shy people and to have this tied to like an actual advancement mechanic, like if someone's shy and, you know, maybe not, you know, new to role playing and doesn't quite know how to do it and doesn't want to speak up, then yeah, I think it is a little bit of a flaw in the system. But the good thing about dreams is that um, one thing that kind of struck me about the mechanics is it's very, very impermanent. Like it is very like, like all of your connections you build up just in the story and then they go away. Mm -hmm. Like you don't build up an inventory. You don't build up skills. Like it's just like, here are your skills. Um, This is what you're going to have. This is what you're always going to have. Mm -hmm. Um, So, I mean, I think that's good because it allows for a lot of storytelling, but I think it also, uh, I don't know how that sustains over a campaign unless the characters really hit. Like, you know, unless you really love playing that character. So as a story gamer, I did not even think of that. About which part? About the lack of inventory, the lack of, quote unquote, leveling Mm. up. Um, Because most of the games I play are games that are entirely story driven that don't have really stats, inventory, levels. Um, there might be inventory sometimes, but, uh, so anyways, that's just not anything I thought about. Um, and it's not something that was uncomfortable or weird for me. I mean, like, I think definitely, like, I like those, those games where, you know, it's, it's certainly not an unusual, uh, mode of playing, but what weirded me out is that in a lot of those games, you don't have a character sheet with all these things to mark down and have very mechanical things as you go. So that was that was a weird disconnect for me. It felt very dissonant, I think, with what it was trying to do. Hmm. But kind of fun if done right. I'm not saying that this game did it right uh, or didn't do it right because I think to April Lynn's point, like it would be interesting to just honestly just play it in person um, and hmm. look at some different scenarios. But uh, the idea that you are gamifying... Th- and maybe that's what the the tension is, is that it's like, it's the Goldilocks paradox. You know, how much now this is a different place where they're trying to like layer on rules, but l- rules to how we tell the story in a way. And and it felt a little disjointed in, in this iteration. But I do think that it's interesting. I liked the, it all kind of washes away at a scene and comes back or at a story and comes back. Um mm. Because it also promotes, like, a mindset of use it or lose it. Um, But, Mm. again, use what? Like, go invisible for an arbitrary reason? Make mochi just because? Like, you know. Mm. I think I wish the... the, It'd be cool to have a more robust skill set to pick from, especially because you don't change it out, uh, and to make it more unique and specific to, you know, what you... We're doing so that you could be in a scenario, whether or not you were in a shrine or in town, to feel like you 
you had something to contribute. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, I think. Uh, we've been talking a while. I think we covered a lot of uh, the rubric stuff, but I, there's one part of it that I think kind of fits precisely. Uh, so the effectiveness of the game in getting themes across. And this game on the cover says this is heartwarming role-playing. So I ask you guys, was it heartwarming? Sure. Okay. That's all the time. No. Um. <laughs> <laughs> My heart it. was not warmed as much as I was hoping for. Mm-hmm. Mm. Okay. But that might be partly because it was being GM'd by a cynical Brooklynite. Wow. Wow. Shots Brooklynite. fired. Ice on the field. Yeah. I mean, wow. some cold wow. is any of that a lie? We're usually no, so lie, but... <laughs> gracious to each other as GMs. We really, but but you, look, man, hunting season, it's on. Okay. I've complimented Mike so much for his willingness to take this on and to try it out and how <laughs> pleased I was that he had watched Totoro to practice. And he said himself that his heart wasn't in it. So... No, no, no. I, so you're not wrong. I mean, like, I think I, I think I said in this episode, I don't think I was the one that should have jammed this um, for a number of different reasons. I think that definitely took the edge off some of the heartwarmingness. I, you know, I think it was but I don't think it was entirely that. I think it was also like the the scenario, I think, was just oh, so yeah, vague and yeah, uh, like I think I could have gotten there, but I don't think I had the. I don't think I had the tools to do it as well as I had hoped. It was a lonely scenario, honestly. Yeah. The lack of cast in the story. I mean, it was the three of us, a lonely, snooty fox girl, Mm. and at the very end, an old man. I think I went into this with expectations that there was going to be townspeople like even just in the background that we would be walking through the village and there would be the guy selling fish and there would be Mm -hmm. the mother playing with her son and even if that that even just as background dressing and so for us to be in the forest and not interact with anybody else other than this fox girl who barely knew how to interact with us it was stressful yeah I, i i think that's entirely valid Samara, what do you think? Was your heart warmed? My heart was warmed many a time, <laughs> but mayhaps not on a whole. Okay. But I felt like I felt like there were a lot of collective moments where we as a group were like, I think that's what this is about. Okay. Mm. Hearts are warm. <laughs> oh, a scene. Okay. We're going to try it again next time, guys. It's going to be great. Now we know what we're doing here. <laughs> we're, we're here. We're warming hearts. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. I think I, what is going on now? I think we failed. Like, it felt like that was sort of it. And the moments, mm-hmm. there were a lot of bright spots in it for me. And there were a lot of really lovely things that got me excited for what it could be. M- mixed, yeah. it, it, you know. No, no, but I think I think real quick on, on something you were saying, Samara, like the kind of like herky-jerky stop and start nature of mm-hmm. it is very not conducive to building tension and building something in the scene because it gets cut. Okay. Now let's take this mechanical break. Who do you want to uh, increase connections to? Yeah. And uh, the book actually says like, you know, scenes need to be short and like mechanically they do need to be because you can't go for a long scene if all of your abilities run out. Mm -hmm. So, um, so you do have to break it up. We had four scenes in a game that took uh, roughly an hour and a half, mm-hmm. uh, give or take. And I mean, that sounds like a lot of time, but that's enough to just kind of get going and then stop. Yep. So, and it is weird because yeah. this goes back to mechanics a little bit, but strange that you have to stop playing mm-hmm. and do, you know, some accounting and then, like, start it yeah, back up. No, like, totally. how can you tell? And the fact that the guy, I would understand, again, if it was, like, anime style, we fade to black, now we're back, you know, in the village in another place. We're using time and space with these scene cuts. But the fact that the book is telling you, like, get to this part of the conversation. Now pause. Now pick back up the conversation as if nothing happened. It's like, 
Yeah, and I was envisioning yeah. this more, again, more as a Miyazaki film versus a episodic anime series that, you know, has commercial breaks every so often. And it's very difficult to tell that sweeping, peaceful, Japanese countryside, everything is quiet sort of story if you're breaking for commercials every 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. 100% agree. So I guess what's the verdict on this? Um, like overall, like what do you guys think of Golden Sky stories? I really wanted to love it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but I, I don't think, think, I think I it feel quite did what it said it would do. And to some degree, that was like also me uh, building it up. I, I think the word I the words I used were "this is wholesome as fuck." Um, <laughs> I think I really love the setting. Mm. I love all of the concepts behind that. I don't know that the mechanics supported it, or and frankly speaking, or the scenario, or my GMing, like the choices that I made. Uh, like I think that if I had tried to sink into my natural like let's follow this thread and see where it goes kind of GMing. Right. But if we're looking at the game as written, you followed the game as written for the most part. And it's only when you strayed from that, that we started to feel more comfortable. Yeah. So I think that that is a sign that there's something amiss with the rules as written. Yeah. I I a hundred percent agree. Like it's what's written on the page. So we do have to evaluate that. Yeah. Yeah, Samara, what do you think? I totally agree with the conversation around as written, what we think is challenging about it. Um, but I would play again when I feel like niece nephews are a little bit older um, to be mm. like a really fun thing to try. Uh, but if I tried it again, I think I would only play it in person. Um, mm-hmm. But again, I'm not sure that I... Honestly, I'm not sure that I would play this game again. I think I would just use the fact that they can be animal people and pull together my own, like, they don't even have, they only have, like, a power sheet and no, like, you know, no, no, no banks of numbers that you have to spend. Just be like, pick six powers, pick three weaknesses. Now let's go pretend to be cat people. So, yeah. So I guess I wouldn't play the game again, but I would, like, play the spirit of the game with some kids in person again. That's that's my that's my review. And I'd bring dragon tears and we'd have a Susie fun time. <laughs> yeah. I, I think a simplified version of this would be great for kids. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it, it's make believe with a, a few rules. Yep. Which frankly is a lot of that's like a description of role playing in general, but <laughs> like but yeah, like uh something like that would I think work really well. But I do um, want this to work for adults because the idea of playing this sort of game with adults that's not that that is about you know simple moments and a very little bit of of magic and helping people and forests and fields and quiet times in the countryside that appeals to me Mm. Not just as a game mm-hmm. for kids, but as a game for adults who need to break out of the box totally. of what role-playing look like. I don't think this system quite does it, but I, I think that it could be adapted, played with. Mm-hmm. It could be used as inspiration. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you for saying that. I totally agree with you. I think that there is real value in finding a way to play this kind of game with adults. And, you know, maybe it's finding a more skilled GM that isn't a failure like Mike. And maybe it's, you know, adapting the rules. (laughs) Also, side note, we should play Tales from Equestria sometime. Tales from... Oh. Oh, that might be all right. I have to GM GM that, I'm assuming. (laughs) No, I feel like you have to play that one. Yeah, I feel like I I would have to Mm. GM that. All right. Well, we can work that out. Uh, I need to take a look at that rule set. All right. So that's going to be it for this episode of One Shot Test Kitchen. Uh, If you're interested in getting your own copy, it's available for $10 as a PDF at starlinepublishing.com. 
April Lynn, where can people find you online? People can find me online on Instagram at A-L-C-A-O-U-E-T-T-E, that's A-L-C-A-O-U-E-T-T-E, and also writing over on lovethynerd.com. Cool. Samara? I'm on Instagram at Naomi and on Twitter at Samara Naomi. Cool. And you can find me on Twitter at Galenblade, G-A-L-E-N-B-L-E-D-E. Also, be sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at OSTK Podcast. Uh, if you have any comments or questions for us, or if you have a suggestion for games that uh, we should take on in the future, please drop us a line at OSTKPodcast at gmail.com. If you'd like to help us out, please leave us a review on your podcast service of choice. It really does help other people discover the show. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. Let's go eat some mochi! Sayonara! And we're back. You know, if we come back, I should probably have a topic to start with. So let me do that again. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I just, this is the one time you leave the silence in time the pod. Time for ramen. <laughs> okay, here we go. Let's do it. I was about to. Stop. <laughs> <laughs>